Last week we jumped into an amazing Old Testament passage that's filled with some of the names of Jesus that helps us understand why he is the most written about, talked about, sung about person in the world. In fact, the Library of Congress now holds 165,000 items, all related to the person and work of Jesus Christ, because there is no one else like him. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 2. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. On them a light has shined. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be Upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. It's that last name I want us to think about today. Prince of. Say it. Peace. In the original language, it's sar, shalom. And it captures something our world is still talking about and singing about and working on. But they've never been able to attain it for long. In fact, in 3,100 years of recorded history now, we've only been at peace 8% of the time. And 8,000 treaties have been made and broken along the way so that people are still wondering. Haven't you been wondering this year? How do we create peace in our world? And where can I find it for myself? The answer to both Questions is found in Jesus Christ because there will never be peace in our world until more people have peace for themselves with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so today I want to point out three of the biggest mistakes I think people make in their personal pursuit of peace because peace in our world is the result of more people having found peace for themselves that allows them to relate to others far differently. Three of the biggest mistakes that people make in their personal pursuit of peace. Number one, real peace is never found in the absence 
of anything, but in the presence of someone. Say his name. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, listen to me. Peace does not come from anything being absent. Peace does not come from the absence of anything like masks, mandates, political unrest, or even a worldwide pandemic. Real peace is the presence of Jesus and an awareness of Jesus in the midst of those things. This might come as a surprise to some of you. Did you know that you can have peace with a mask on when you know you have Jesus? Jesus doesn't say, you're wearing a mask. I'm out of here. I can't deal with this. Now you're on your own. No, he doesn't. Did you know that you can have peace in the midst of a worldwide pandemic? We've never seen anything like this. But when you have Jesus, you can have peace in the midst of political unrest and you say, We've never seen anything like this, not in our country. It happens in other places, but not America. You can still have peace when you have, say his name. But here's the deal. Not just have him, you have an awareness of him and a delight in him in the midst of these things. See, peace is never the result of anything being removed from your life It's the result of someone being added to your life. So let me tell you what this year has actually done. This year was hard, yeah, but this year in a way was a gift. Did you know that? It was a gift. This rocked, same old, same old, same old, same old, and we learned a lot. It's not bad when you learn things. It's good, especially when you learn things about yourself. Let me tell you what's really happened this year, I think. 2020 did not cause or create anything in us. It exposed things about us that were always true. We just didn't know it like we do now. You realize that? We just didn't know it like we do now. Because this year was filled with terrifying moments. I agree. I was like, "Woo!" That have been clarifying moments about who we really are and what's going on inside of us on a heart level. I've learned things about myself. I'm not as loving as I thought. I love the sheep when they're nice to me. This was helpful. You know, I've been a pastor 35 years and I was like, I'm a good shepherd. This year, God gave me the opportunity to still love sheep when they bite and kick and stink and lead others in wrong directions. Can you love them then, Brad? At first I couldn't. I was like, beat the sheep. And then he had to change my heart. Like change. And then I was like, what in the world? Nobody's listening. Nobody. Have you heard any of my sermons? Dang, what's your problem? And it's like the Holy Spirit said, this is why people need a pastor Buddy, this is why I created this role. Not because they're so wonderful and can do it on their own. They need a pastor. So shut up and start loving them. So I don't want you to know it's just like, this has been a great year for you to see you. It was a great year for me to see me in a new light. 
And I hope I've grown from it. It was a terrifying year that has been a clarifying year about who we really are and what's going on inside of us on a heart level. And so don't be guilty. Hope you're not doing this. Don't be guilty of saying, oh, don't judge me or decide what you think about me based on this year. Oh, no, no. This was a different kind of year. It was so hard and so scary. Don't base what you think about me on how I've been acting or talking or behaving. That's not really me. Guess what? This is the year we saw the true you. Maybe for the very first time. Because until there's enough pressure or heat or adverse circumstances bearing down on us, nobody really knows us, including ourselves. Did you know you could be self-deceived and fooled about who you think you are? What's me? I know who I am. No, God has to reveal to us occasionally who you really are. We have this opinion. He says, no, here you are. Be shocked about you as you watch you. Oh, wow. Clarifying about who we really are and what's really going on on a heart level. And so here's what I would call this year. Let's add a different word. It's a hard year. Yes, it was a hard year. It was a hard year. And it was a heart year. Which makes it a really good time to reconsider where have you been looking for peace? And have you been guilty of saying or thinking, I'll have peace again. I'll settle down again when. And if whatever you say next has anything to do with circumstances changing or something or someone being removed from your life, then let me help you. You're not pointed in the right direction. You are headed for happiness that's based on circumstances. And that's why it comes and goes and comes and goes. And the Bible doesn't talk about happiness. Jesus doesn't offer us happiness. That's tied to circumstances. He talks about joy and peace that you can have that's not based on circumstances, but it's based on knowing him. Resting in him, delighting in him in the midst of difficult circumstances. If you've been saying, I'll have peace when there's a vaccine. Don't hear me saying I don't hope they'll get one. But can you have peace until then? Yes. If you've been saying, I'll have peace and I'll settle down when there's a vaccine. I'll have peace when I can worship and shop again without a mask. Trust me, I look forward to not smelling my own breath and the sweat all over my face. Don't hear me saying, I love masks. I hope we can do this forever till Jesus comes. No, I don't. I don't. But can you have peace until then? Yes. I'll have peace when there's a vaccine. I'll have peace when I can shop and worship without a mask. I'll have peace when some of these political ideologies that are rumbling and raising their heads are crushed or stamped out altogether. Jesus offers something way beyond that. Joy and peace. Not because of anything that's been removed, but because of his presence. 
as he gives us his spirit. See, here's the thing. How would you know? How would you know that you truly have Jesus? He said, I'm going to give you my spirit. This is a year that we need more than ever to be filled with the spirit, right? This is a time to be filled with the spirit. Were you filled with his spirit this year? You say, well, I don't know. I was passionate. I was focused. I was vocal. Let me help you. Those aren't the characteristics that the Bible gives us. He doesn't leave us guessing what it would look like to be filled with the spirit, which means you've got a lot of Jesus going on. Did you know there's a place where he allows you to do a little pop quiz and say, do I have the spirit? Does the spirit have me? Have I been filled with the spirit? Bonus. This happened in my bedroom Friday. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says, I'm going to give you my spirit. And when you're filled with the spirit, he tells us to be filled with the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. Listen to the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. What's the fruit of the spirit? What shows up in your life? Passion, hate, anger, fear, panic. No. You ready? Love. Joy. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. How filled with the spirit have you been this year? Basic kindness has just been wiped off the table, hasn't it? In the name of, oh, but now in light of, no, we're not supposed to wipe kindness. Patience. I don't have to be patient with anybody around me, anyone that differs with me now, because the, 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 the issues are so, no. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self control. When Jesus has you and controls you by his spirit living in you, God's word says that's what starts coming out of you. Don't hear me saying you can't have an opinion. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This is the year of people hearing not what I said and sending me emails saying something that I did not say. Did not say you can't have an opinion. Did not say you can't express it. Did not say you shouldn't be concerned about today. But as you express it and hold that opinion and have that concern, you still have fruit in the way that you do all those things of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because real peace is never the absence of anything, but the presence of Jesus in my life, controlling my life. And I have peace. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Because this peace is so different. This joy is so different than happiness. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and and listen to Jesus talking about it to us. He told us he would do this for us before he ever left this earth. John 14, beginning in verse 18. I will not leave you 
as orphans. Oh, that's so good. See, we've got some people acting like they're orphans. You're running around like you don't have a daddy. I will not leave you as orphans. No matter what's going on, you have a heavenly father who loves you and is with you. You're never alone. You've not been abandoned. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Now, how are we going to still see him once he bodily goes back? And he did. Here's how. Because I live, you also will live in that day. What day? Right now, the last days. We're in it, the day he's talking about. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Today is actually better than the gospel days of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because when Jesus was in Capernaum, guess what? He wasn't in Jerusalem. And when he was in Caesarea, he could not be in Philippi. But today, he's in you. In Pendleton County, in Cincinnati, in Kenton County, in Boone County, on that campus, in that Zoom meeting, with your job, wherever believers are now, he's in you and with you. This is better. Skip to verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Look at this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, super clarifying comment coming after this. Not as the world gives. And what's he mean by that? Here's what he means. The world can give you something and it's something that helps you feel a little better with your circumstances. He doesn't give us something. Peace is not a substance he gives us. The reason this is unlike what the world can do, he gives you himself, the Prince of Peace, living in you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give. Which is a game changer. That's why you can say, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You can be concerned. You can have an opinion that you don't like what's going on. All that's most appropriate. We're not supposed to stop thinking and we're not supposed to stop doing anything about it. If there's appropriate, godly, gentle, helpful things that we could do, do them. But don't be running scared when fear takes over you guys. That's why he says, do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. When fear takes over, love is gone. If what you're doing, even in the name of Jesus, is driven largely by fear, it's probably not being done in the right way. That's why 1 John 4, 18 says, perfect love, mature love, robust love, cast out fear. We don't want to be doing what we're doing out of fear because it will not be loving and kind and gentle and self-controlled. Real peace 
is never found in the absence of anything. Now I have peace because that's over. That's gone. I don't want to be a prophet of gloom or doom, you guys, but I don't know that there's going to be a settling down anytime soon. Right? But the good news is he's with us. He's with us. The days ahead could be some of the best days for the church and for believers. Could be some of our hardest, but it's during hard times that there's typically a harvest for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Not during prosperity when everything's, this is great, this is great, this is great. I don't need God. It's not the absence of anything, but the presence of someone. Say his name. And my awareness of it. Number two, I'll tell you another mistake I see people make. Real peace is not found by avoiding reality, but by clarifying eternity. You don't find peace by pretending these things aren't happening. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand. It's not happening, not happening, not happening. I'm not listening, not listening, not listening. I feel better. Real peace is not, some people think that's what Christians are doing. We just huddle up on this hill, pretend it's not happening, stick our heads in the Bible, make believe book. Not at all. Not at all. Many of you may know that the day after Thanksgiving this year, Tony Shea, the brilliant entrepreneur behind Zappos Shoe Company, as well as many other endeavors, died in a house fire at just 46 years of age. And while it's still unclear whether it was an accident or he meant to do it because they found him barricaded in a storage unit. I don't know if he's trying to get away from the fire, if he meant to do it. They still don't know yet. But this they do know. The testimony of all his closest friends and family that they've interviewed. All of them testify similarly and confirm that Tony had lost his way in his personal pursuit of happiness And peace. Oh, to his credit, and I appreciate this greatly. To his credit, everyone just talked about how generous he was. Incredibly generous. And that he did not live for money. Praise God. I mean, he demonstrated it by dumping millions of dollars into different cities that had run-down areas. And turning them around and making them a place people would want to live. With restaurants, etc. Thank you, Tony. In fact, one of his partners said, quote, Tony was never interested in shoes. He wanted to improve the human condition. We need more of that. Those that were closest to him said his mission in life was to create happiness. And as a part of that mission, he wrote a New York Times bestseller titled Delivering Happiness. And yet... After selling millions of copies, as well as turning around and selling Zappos Shoe Company to Amazon for $1.9 billion. His own life was spiraling out of control because Tony's personal path to happiness had become more and more nonstop parties, alcohol abuse, And drug use that this year, friends said, these weren't Christian friends, you guys. These are just friends that care about him, said, had gone to a new dangerous erratic level of him regularly inhaling nitrous oxide cartridges like you find in whipped cream cans. This is typically what bored teenagers do. 
And this is what he was turning to again and again and again. And friends said, quote, he increasingly wanted to dissociate from the world and not deal with reality. Because the current pandemic this year had so curtailed the nonstop parties. He would have huge parties at the house and bring in a, a band or a singer like Jewel. She was a personal friend. He couldn't do that. His craving for nonstop parties was so curtailed. He more and more was willing to just dissociate and stop dealing with reality. Forbes magazine summarized their account of his death by saying this, quote, Count him as another COVID-19 victim, except that instead of succumbing to the disease itself, the virus appears to have accelerated some wrenching internal battles that led to terrible external decisions. Now, do you notice how they even worded that? Similar to what I've already brought you. It doesn't say it created it. It was already there. Tony Shea, and I'm not picking on him. He's a human sinner just like all of us. Had some internal battles that were accelerated like gas on a fire by this year. Wasn't caused, but it took it to enough. We've seen that with so many, right? Wrenching internal struggles or battles have led to some terrible decisions this year as COVID-19 and other fearful things have exacerbated or accelerated what was already there. Folks, I hope you realize as you hear that sad story, and it makes me very sad, Christianity is not our version of drugs and alcohol or the use of nitrous oxide canisters to avoid reality. Not at all. When you read your Bible, you do not find the Bible trying to airbrush the reality of the nitty gritty, painful, dark brokenness of this world or the people in it. Not at all. That's not what the Bible does. In fact, the Bible is not a sedative that helps block or blunt the reality of what's going on right now and what we live in now. As you read the letters of the New Testament, instead, here's what you'll see. Over and over and over, the Bible exhorts us to never fixate on this present moment as if it's the only moment but reframes it in light of eternity and a sovereign God who is in control of it all, including a worldwide pandemic and political unrest. That's what you find in the Bible over and over. It reframes it and puts it in the presence of a sovereign God. You say, so what? I need it to stop. Why would that help me? Let me illustrate it this way. Great works of art, paintings in particular, but sculpture same way. Great works of art are never just thrown on the wall or slapped on the wall. Just whatever, just put it there. Do you know that? Never. Great thought is given to the framing of it. What kind of frame? How thick? What color? What matting? 
Great thought is given to the lighting on it. How much light? From which direction? And great thought is given to the placement of that piece in the room. Whether it's a home or a museum. Now stay with me. Does the framing change at all what the artist actually did and designed? Does the lighting change the colors? Nope. Does the placement change? But the framing, lighting, and placement greatly affects the way you perceive that piece and what you conclude about it. That's what the Bible does. The Bible does not try to blunt or block the reality of what we're going through, but it reframes it in the light of eternity and places it in the presence of a sovereign, almighty God who's in control and that changes everything. One person agrees. And if you're thinking, yeah, 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 you're a pastor. I'm glad that kind of stuff jazzes you. But do real people get a hold of this? Do normal people find this helpful, Brad? Because God knows what he's doing. If he thought something would be more helpful, he would have given it to us. This is what he's given us. Over and over, he seeks to reframe what you're going through in light of eternity. And he seeks to place what you're going through in the presence of a sovereign, almighty God. You're not alone. You're not orphaned. He sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. He's in it with you. Let me give you an example. I received an email from a young mother in our church family a few years ago who was facing overwhelming present circumstances in life with her own health and the life of young children. And she found great peace because of what I'm talking about right now. And I have her permission to share this. Listen to what she says. Our three-year-old has sensory processing disorder. Our one-year-old has multiple food issues as well as severe reflux. Along with that, my own health issues right now have been narrowed down to either carcinoid cancer or an autoimmune disease of some sort. As you can imagine, this is a difficult season for us. But I have to share with you what God has been doing in our lives because it's so incredible. I've experienced a complete overhaul of my faith and my understanding of who God is and what he's done for me during these last few months. When my doctors first mentioned cancer, I went into a state of shock. I've been a Christian for 12 years now, but had never had to honestly confront my own mortality. I'm only 33 years old. I've only been married five years and I have two very young children who have issues of their own. So I was stunned. How could God do this to me? How was he loving? How was he in control of this? I began to pray that God would walk with me through this, that he would not let me go, and that he would be patient and loving with me as I wrestled with it all. Some days, all I could do was cry. I tried not to dwell on my chronic pain and sometimes debilitating symptoms being cancer, and yet it was there every day. At Christmas, I wondered if it would be my last one with the boys. It was a very dark place. I could hardly read my devotionals, could barely utter my prayers at all. But I continued to pray 
these same. Do you know you can pray prayers with no feelings? You don't have to have the right feeling. She's an example of those psalms that are dark. The lamentation psalms. They're saying, I don't feel it, but I'm going to cry out to you anyway. I'm going to cry out to you. I'm still coming to you. I'm not going to give up. She says, I continue to pray these prayers. God, please don't let me go. Hold tightly to me. Break through the shock and fear. And then I had a huge breakthrough a few months later. When you read Revelation 5 in a Sunday worship service, I had prayed that morning that God would give me something, anything during service. Now, there's several things I appreciate that I want you to note she's doing. She didn't stop praying. She didn't stop meeting with God in the morning. She didn't stop joining brothers and sisters in corporate worship, whether it's online or in prayer. So often when people are hurting, they pull away from all three of those. I'm just hurting so much I can't even... Not good. She kept. And oh, what God might do. I pray my little heart out leading up to Sunday sermons. What if every single person said, oh God, speak to me this. Give me a word. What if everybody was praying and not just me? Oh, what might happen? She said, I prayed, God, God, God. Give me something during the service. I still felt frozen in my faith going to church that morning, iced over with fear. But then you started reading Revelation 5. And as you did, I was overcome. As you read it aloud, I tried to picture in my mind something as devastatingly powerful as the scene painted in this scripture. I was overcome that I was going to heaven to this place where they worship the lamb. I was overcome that I'd been saved by the same God of Revelation 5. Trust me when I say I know the sin of which I'm capable of committing and have committed. And yet God saved me. The the only one worthy to open the scrolls has ransomed me. I was undone. God used that scripture in Revelation 5 to shatter the ice and it began to fall off of me piece by piece. I cried the rest of the morning, but it wasn't because of fear of cancer anymore or because I was questioning God. I was overcome with gratitude that I'd been rescued from sin and death and hell and could praise God once again for helping me see through this scripture that he was good and that he was everything he'd ever promised. Oh, praise him. Now, I really appreciate her concluding comment because it also brings before you what I'm talking about. Circumstances hadn't changed. Listen to what she concludes with. There are still days of struggle as the reality of my situation has not changed. I'm still in pain, still struggling to raise my children and still going through testing to find out if I have cancer or some other disease. But now there is a joy And peace in my heart. How did that happen? It happened not because the reality of her present circumstances changed, but they were reframed in light of eternity and placed in the presence of a sovereign, almighty God who's already proved that he loves you because he sent his son to die for you. You see, the Bible in general and Revelation in particular is one of those books that pulls back the curtain of eternity and allows you a glimpse of glory that changes 
the way you see your present painful story. Circumstances may not change, but it changes how you perceive it. Just like a work of art. It changes how you perceive it and your conclusion about it and what you think you can do next. All that's changed by having it reframed in light of eternity and placed in the presence of a sovereign God. So turn to Romans, not Romans, Revelation 5. Because I want you to hear what that young woman heard that day. Because here's the deal, look at me. This passage is still true for you. Just as true for you today. If you're his child, you know Christ as your savior. Revelation chapter 5. Beginning in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood have ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard round the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Revelation is in the Bible so that we can eavesdrop on eternity and clarify the reality of what we're going through so that we can have peace and joy regardless of circumstances. And looking at Jesus in Revelation 5 leads right into my final point. Number three, real peace. Hope you realize this. Real peace, the kind of he says, I'll give you, not like the world, could never be produced or created by us. It had to be purchased for us. We've got a lot of well-meaning billionaires in our world. I appreciate that. Mark Zuckerberg, the billionaire founder and CEO of Facebook, right? And now he's bought other social media, Instagram. He owns the four most downloaded apps in the world right now. So he knows a little bit about social media and connectedness. In 2017, three years ago, he went on a nationwide tour filling up auditoriums. And he went around speaking and announcing that he thinks he can turn the world around into a, quote, peaceful, life-giving, just political community. It's a big offer. And I'm so grateful. I would love a lot more of all that. Peaceful. Bring it. 
life-giving instead of death, just political community. But I can't help but think, three years later now, as we wrap up 2020, I think everyone would agree, oh, dear me, things have only gotten worse. And Facebook was part of the problem as it allows people to rant and rave at each other in ways they would never speak face to face. And oh, yes, he literally he said, Facebook is the new church, quote, because we have two billion people connected in meaningful communities. Yeah, well, guess what, Mark? And we saw it this year. They're connected in their own little echo chamber and tribe. It just allows them to connect more with people that think just like them. And I've been reading articles that once you head down a certain path on social media and you Google a word or whatever, it'll just give you more of what they know you're already into. And it gives you a false sense that everyone thinks like you, but they don't. It hasn't helped. I'm willing to go on record today. This is bold, but you know me. I can be bold. As saying, I'm confident, Mark, that Facebook will never lead to world peace or even reduce the level of hate and conflict we have with each other. It will continue to allow you to connect with your old high school sweetheart and leave your present husband. It will continue to do terrible things, but it will not lead to world peace. Oh my goodness, no. Because we have a shalom shaped hole in our heart. Every human being that will never be filled with technology or human relationships ever. No matter how much you throw in there or how long and hard and creatively you work at it. See, our world always looks at everything as a problem to be solved in the same ways that companies do whatever they do. He said, quote, I believe with the, with the right product roadmap. I'm confident with the right product roadmap, as if peace is a product. With the right product roadmap, we can turn things around with Facebook. Quote, I know we can do this. We can reverse this decline. Peace is not a product that can be produced by anyone, even if they have billions of dollars to throw at it. Jesus did not come into our world to announce peace on earth. He took on flesh and came into our world and was born and lived and died and rose again to purchase peace for us because we could have never created it or produced it on our own. Go to Isaiah 53. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is in the Old Testament, but it is one of the best chapters for explaining what was happening on the cross. When you read the Gospels and see Jesus hanging on the cross, he was more than just dying a physical death. Isaiah 53 gives us great insights to what was going on. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 3. Speaking of Jesus hanging on the cross, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Do you realize when he hung on the cross, God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son, smote him, gave him the punishment that should have been ours. Jesus stood in our place and took the punishment of a holy God for us, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Oh, here it is. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, say it. He brought us peace because he bought us peace. By paying the price, the ultimate price of death on the cross. So that we could have peace with God. We could have a relationship with God. Because only as more and more men and women have personal peace with God. Can there be any horizontal peace with other people. He brought it and he bought it. Because he is the prince of peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We would have never figured this out. We would have never wandered into the right path. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, unbeliever, so glad if you're here or you're listening online. You want to promote world peace? Start by finding personal peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't put your hope in any product roadmap of this world. Don't put your hope in the United Nations. Don't put your hope in anyone in White House. Find peace with God. Through the Prince of Peace who will give you his peace. Not like the world gives does he gives. Because he gives you himself. Prince of Peace. And believers. Have you been losing heart and struggling to maintain peace and joy? Wow. Struggling here to have a lot of joy, to have a lot of peace. I don't know. Here's what's kept me going. Reading my Bible every day. Oh, And having my present moment reframed in light of eternity and placed in the presence of a sovereign God that I don't have to wonder, is he just some big cosmic machine? Does he know me? Does he care? These same scriptures I read say, he knows me by name. He calls me by name and gave his son for me. I can't question whether he loves me. I know he loves me and has allowed me now by his spirit to call him Abba, Father. Listen to me. Consider. Put down some of the other books you're reading. Turn off Fox News. Shut down some of the blogs. And pick up this book that is not a sedative that will help you block the reality of what's going on. It is an incredible book that will reframe it in light of of eternity and place it in the presence of a sovereign God and watch, watch the level of your peace and joy expand quantitatively, not because anything changed, but because you changed 
in the midst of it. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that you've not left us orphans. And thank you for the peace that the Prince of Peace gives us that is not like the world gives. Because you paid the ultimate price of your own life and bought it for us so that you could give it to us in your son. Oh God, settle us. Fill us with your spirit so that you might use us to be distinctly different in this dark, tumultuous day. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.